Welcome to Life Church Bath, and thank you for choosing this message. If you'd like to learn and hear more about who we are and what we get up to, please go to our website at lifechurchbath.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning. It's already been a long morning, so we're going to agree in prayer. Three words, brief and amazing. (laughs) Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Words don't even come close. But yet, Lord, we, we can't help but say thank you. We love the way that you love us. We love the way that you lead us. Jesus, thank you for being everything that we could have ever hoped for and a billion times beyond. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us this morning. You illuminate the scripture, Lord, that uh, your truth would come from the word of God. We value the Bible. We value uh, what it has to say, how it checks us, balances us, causes us to move forward. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word. Lord, I pray right now that I would have a soft heart, that we would have a soft heart. Holy Spirit, we give you full reign to say what you want to say to us, that we would hear what you want to say to us. We bless this time, Father, in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Uh, I don't know if this is continuing on in a series on a light on the hill, but it's just so in me uh, that this, this church would change, be part of changing this city. That the city of Bath, Bath, would look like the kingdom of heaven. It would smell like the kingdom of heaven. What a, what a privilege this morning of, of coming up here and uh, following Rosie. It's just, when I, when I see people like Rosie, we've, uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of knowing her for a few years, and it's just people behind the scenes that make everything possible. They just change the environment, that create kingdom culture, who do all the little things that cause success, that bring light, that bring life, that bring love, that bring peace. And I so appreciate the words and the honoring of Rosie. Uh, We have our Rosies in the United States. Maybe, Rosie, that's where you're coming next. (laughs) Be Rosie part two. You You said maybe there's no big grand adventure. There is a big continent waiting for you. She'll probably say never, 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 never. What a great sense this morning of family, welcoming in people into the family, acknowledging people like a Rosie Sherwin in the body. It's just, what, what a beautiful morning. And this morning I do want to talk about, it's been mentioned once or twice, I think, uh, by Tim, about just softening the heart. Last week I talked a little bit about uh, Saul, uh, Paul, and Barnabas, and just the importance of family, of not smudging people's reputations and speaking well of one another it's the power of words and in a family it's the power of words and this morning I want to touch on a man who um, didn't belong necessarily in Israel he was an outsider looking in but yet because of the kindness of his heart because of the softness of his heart God used him uniquely to break the kingdom of heaven to break the kingdom into the non-Jewish world And it's just because he had a soft heart. 
It wasn't because of his education. It wasn't because of his skill and abilities in administration or, or speaking or leading. But God looked at this man and said, that's a soft heart. I'll use him. And I, I don't know, this is not my Christmas message. It's not our Christmas message. But I still look out of all the people, out of all of time, why the Father in heaven would use Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why her? A young teenager. She hadn't done anything. She's probably not overly educated. Hadn't built a business. Hadn't you know, gone out and worked in the, the slums and done mission work. But God from heaven looked down and saw a young teenage girl named Mary. A soft heart, a kind heart, a beautiful heart. And the Father in, heaven, Father in heaven said, I can trust her with my son. No accolades, no credentials, no MBAs, PhDs up on the wall of her house. Just a soft, tender heart. And I believe with all of my heart, that's exactly what heaven is looking for. Last week at, during the message, I don't know if she's here, Bex Briggs uh, came up and she just talked about, she used a phrase, little things. Is she here this morning, Bex? Yeah. Oh, she's serving. Oh, of course she is. Yeah, That's what we're talking about. But she just used a, a phrase last week about just doing the little things really well. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And it's part has everything to do with the heart, everything to do with words, how we speak, how we act, how we live in the family of God. I love the way Jesus does what he does. I, I love the fact that we have the Bible in it, and it tells us, just it's almost like a keyhole. The Bible actually says about Jesus that all the books of the world couldn't contain all that he said and did. But we do get something, some things that he did, highlights that the disciples and Luke wrote down. So this is the kind of man Jesus is and was when he walked the earth. And Jesus, he, as we know, he, he walked with the disciples for three and a half years. And he was getting to the end. He's going to go to the cross. And I can't, I can't, I can't imagine what was going through his mind. It's the very end of his days. He, he knows he's going to lay his life willingly on the, on the cross. It's going to be the most horrific death known to mankind. Isn't this a positive message? Yeah. But Jesus, he, he came for one purpose. And he was days, hours from fulfilling that purpose. But just the horrific thing, he, he's the only one who knew what was imminent and impending. And he, it was just before the Last Supper, and he, he gathers his disciples together, and he wants to do, before the cross, one last great message, one last great learning moment, teaching moment. Because he's been listening to his disciples, the 12 of them, for the last few days. And right up to the very end, he's listening to the disciples, arguing with one another, who's the greatest amongst them? Can you imagine... He's been walking with them, leading them, loving them, showing them, demonstrating the kingdom. And here these young guys are still talking about which one of them did the greatest miracle. Which one of them is going to be the best, the biggest? And I can only imagine Jesus going, oh my gosh, Lord, did we get this right? Of course he would never say that. But as I look at it, I just, I think he's hearing the 
the boys, the 12 of them, bickering amongst themselves. And I'm sure it was planned. It wasn't just spur of the moment. But Jesus said, you know what? We're going to do one last amazing lesson. And I think it's recorded in John chapter 13, where Jesus took off the majority of his clothes, wrapped a towel around him, and he says, I want you to understand what love looks like. I want, I want you to understand, disciples, what it looks like to lead, what it looks like to have a title, what it looks like to be really important. I'm going to show you that in the decades to come, in the centuries to come, what love looks like, what leading looks like. And the Bible says he, he washed all of their feet. The disciples hated it. Peter himself, of course Peter, says, no, don't do that, wash my head instead. Because in this culture, the lowest, the lowest, the lowest house servant was the one that washed people's feet as they came in, guests into the house. And the disciples, even in their bickering of who amongst them was the greatest, the coolest, the strongest, the best, the most anointed, they, they understood, Jesus, you, you can't wash feet. That's not fit for you. And he says, no, no, no. This is what it means to be important in the kingdom of heaven. You're willing to be, do all the stuff behind the scenes, to never get the upfront just to love people really, really well in the seemingly meaningless things, in the seemingly insignificant things. Even washing feet. You want to be great? You want to do something amazing? Do you want to change a city? It's the little things. It's loving people really, really well. Yes, raising people from the dead is huge. Yes, seeing people... Uh, Raised up out of hospital beds, amazing. But I think instead of just the fireworks, if you will, it's the day-to-day loving beautifully, serving beautifully. It's doing the little things well from a right heart, from a blessed heart, and doing it really well. Not many of us have the opportunity to... uh, ever go to Calcutta and be a mission, uh, mission field and a missionary. And many of us, like myself, I don't, you're probably very different than me, but sometimes I can wrongly con- compare my life to other people. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? He's kind of famous. And sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, I, I, I'm no Billy Graham. And you're saying, no, you're not. Or Reinhard Bonnke or Mother Teresa, you know, just loving the poor. And they're famous and they think, I'll never get the opportunity to go to the streets of Calcutta and do what she did. I'll never stand, thankfully, stand in front of tens of thousands of people and preach. And, you know, I I just look at my life and I think I don't compare well to the Billy Grahams, the Reinhard Bonkies, the Mother Teresas. And it would be easy for me to come to the point of thinking, does my life really make a difference? It's just little old me. I know me. I'm not an incredible miracle worker yet. But what I found is I read the Bible and I understand the Father's heart and what Jesus is looking for. He's like, Tom, don't worry about those things. Can you just love people really well right where you are? 
Can you be faithful, Tom, just with the little things? And I will do miracles. I will change people. I will change families. Just, Tom, with you being faithful with the little things. In Revelation 22.12, the Bible says this. If you have a, a Bible paper, it will actually be in red letters. And the Bible says this in Revelation 22.12. It says, look, this is Jesus speaking, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Jesus himself says, I am coming back. I'm coming back, but I'm not just coming back. When I come back, I'm bringing reward with me for what you've done, how you've lived your life. You may not be a Billy Graham. You're probably not. You may not be a Mother Teresa, but it's the little things. Have Tom, have you been faithful with the little things that you can do something about? And he, he guarantees, I will reward you. And the reward that Jesus brings is forever. It's forever. It's how I speak about people. It's how, I, aside from Jonathan's broken arm, I'm sorry if I made fun of your broken arm. Did you see the video? It was great. <laughs> but it's how I speak about people. How I love them. How I serve them. And it's not just Serving the pastor, because many of us like to serve the pastor. You know, if the, if the king came, oh my goodness, we'll you know, bring gifts for the king. But what about the little lady sitting off to the side that nobody notices? Because I believe with all of my heart, that's where heaven is looking. How do you treat the little lady off to the side? Maybe she's young, maybe she's only 58 years old. I'm older than that, so that's why I said that. She doesn't preach. She doesn't bring the announcements on a Sunday. She's not up on the stage on the piano playing beautifully like Andy and the, the guitars. She's just off to the side, and she cares for your children. And she's cared for your children for 42 years back in the nursery. And it's easy just to walk right past her every Sunday. Nobody sees her. Nobody acknowledges her. But she just loves the children of this church really, really well. It's just my opinion. I tend to think that the little lady who's been serving in this family faithfully for years, decades, is going to get a bigger reward than Mr. Pastor in the age to come. And she'll be sitting up closer to King Jesus for eternity for just being faithful with what she's done. That probably doesn't surprise many of you, but I, I, act, I actually believe that. I'd like to look this morning in Acts chapter 10 at an amazing man. And he's not a, a powerhouse man. He's not a, a theologian. He's not one of the disciples. But God used this man, and he's a Roman and he's a Roman, which means he's representing an occupying force. The, uh, the Romans are not welcome in Israel. They've got Israel hostage. They're um, a people who are enforcing their rules and dominating Israel. And they're despised people. And this man that we're going to look at is an officer in the Roman army. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, and we're going to bounce through this chapter, Acts 10. The Bible says this, Acts 10:1. At Caesarea, which is a city, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. 
in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout. This is his credentials. He was devout and God-fearing. And then colon, semicolon. What does that look like? This is what made him amazing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. That's his credentials. He wasn't a Bible teacher. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a, a leader in the synagogue. He was devout and God-fearing. And what did that look like? What does that mean to heaven? He simply gave generously to those in need. And he prayed regularly to God. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa, different city, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened to and sent them to Joppa. In Joppa, the disciple named Peter is up on the roof. He's about ready to have lunch, and he has, his, has a vision, and he sees a, a, a sheet, large sheet on four different sides, being lowered down from heaven, and on the inside of the sheet, and the Bible actually says he was waiting, he was hungry. Peter wanted to eat. And he sees this sheet being lowered from heaven. And inside was all kinds of nasty animals the Bible said you can't touch. You certainly can't eat them. It's filled with all these unclean animals. And Peter looks and is grossed out. Second time, the exact same vision. And a third time, the sheet comes down from heaven. And the Lord says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, never. Those are unclean animals. I would never do that, ever. And the Lord speaks to Peter through this illustration, through this vision. He says, Peter, don't call unclean what I say is clean. And so as Peter is seeing this vision, just then the men come from Cornelius' house. We'll pick it up in verse 23. So Peter has this vision about the unclean animals, and now the men are knocking at the door asking for Peter. Verse 23, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa with him went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius, remember, he's a Roman soldier. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. So if you're a Jew, you're a Jew. Anybody else from Croatia, from Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Great Britain, we're all Gentiles if you're not a Jew. 
And so he says, you are, Peter says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And Cornelius then tells him the story about the angel appearing and send Peter. Verse 34 and 35. And so Cornelius says, tell us. I was told you have a message. Tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And Peter begins to preach about Jesus and tell them about the Lord of life. In verse 44, and we'll conclude this chapter with this. Verse 44, Peter's in the middle of his message. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, had, who had come with Peter, were astonished. The Jewish men are like, oh my gosh, these are Gentiles, they're Romans, for goodness sake. There's, they're the occupying force. The Holy Spirit can't be falling on these people. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of, their being, of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit as we have. So he ordered them that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And so my question is almost like with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why Mary? Of all people, of all the, the women on the face of the earth, why her? She's got a soft heart, a kind heart. She's devout. She loves God. She fears God. Why use this Roman officer of all people? He's a Roman. What turns heaven's head? What gets heaven's attention? A soft heart. Not great preaching though I'm sure he's in favor of great preaching. Not great worship, though I guarantee you he's in favor of great worship. What sends angels into a community? What sends angels, heaven's very presence, into a home? A human being who has a soft heart. All this man is noted for doing is this, that brought heaven gave generously to poor people and he prayed regularly that turns heaven's head and the amazing thing is up till now through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years God just lived just visited into the Jewish culture that's it it was just for the Jews yeah sure there were some people who made and came into converts, but you had to go into Jerusalem and get into the is, is, uh, Israel culture. But now he's breaking out into the rest of the world, and he chooses one man. Not famous, not an eloquent speaker. He just has a soft heart. He's just kind. 
He's just an amazing individual. He loves people. He shows kindness all the time. When the angel visited him, the angel spoke to him and said, your life, your gifts to the poor, your prayers have come as a memorial offering to heaven. The sweet essence, the sweet fragrance of your life, Cornelius, has impacted heaven. We're going to send angels and we're going to start with you and your family, your home. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says this. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. The Bible says, be careful. This is Jesus speaking again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's why I so love when we honor people like Rosie and Helen and people like them. They're behind the scenes. They're not up front preaching every week. But heaven says, these are the people that I want to highlight. The Rosie Sherwins of life and the Helen Lotwicks. That's what turns heaven's head. And the good thing is, we all qualify for that. We can be servants. We can do good to people behind the scenes. Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do so, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Remember Jesus, Revelation 22, when I come, I'm bringing reward. He says, well, if you're doing it just to be seen, just to be noticed by people, you've already received your reward. You'll get no reward in heaven from your Father. Verse 2. So when you give, not if, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive the reward in full. But when, 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 you give to the needy. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He sees what is done. I love that. First Timothy 6, Paul writes to a young man. 1 Timothy 6. And I just want you to listen to the language. And how many people here are Westerners? This is not a trick question. This is not, I'm not talking Clint Eastwood. You're a member of the Western culture. Would that be most of us? I've had the privilege of traveling some into third world countries. And I just want to say that if you have a thousand pounds to your name, if you have a thousand pounds to your name, you are ridiculously wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Ridiculously wealthy. You may think, well, I don't live in his house. I don't drive that Mercedes. But compared to the rest of the world, we are fabulously wealthy. Fabulously. We just don't recognize it because we live in a culture of affluence, a culture of wealth. But Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, and he says this. Strong words. Command those. Command them. Don't ask them. Don't appeal to them. Don't be soft. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this. Command those who are rich in this present world. Not to be arrogant. Nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them. Again that's a strong word. All you, Paul's writing, tell all those people, Timothy, the rich people that you, you work with, 
command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, in this way, just like Cornelius, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Mark 12, verse 41. Is it okay if we use the Bible? I'm, I'll be concluding in just a moment. Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Jesus sat down intentionally, purposely said, I'm going to sit right here. Why would he do that? To watch the offerings that were put in and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, the poor widow, this poor widow has put in more money into treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything out of all she had to live on. So in conclusion, I want to just leave this thought with, with you. In St. Louis, my wife and I are part of a church, and we want to impact the community. We want to impact the city that we live in. And we're just starting to see that. And we think, well, how do we do that? What do we do? How do we do it? Can I just say, if you'd like to have angels come and visit Bath, if you'd like to have angelic visitation, opening doors for you, I, as I read the Bible, I see a couple of things that stand out to me. And it's not door knocking, and everyone said, thank you, Jesus. It's not door knocking. It doesn't even say, stand in the street corner and preach and yell people, they're going to, going to hell and your lifestyle's horrific and Jesus hates you. We have people in America, churches that actually do that. How horrible is that? But the scripture, the Bible, gives us some indicators. If you want heaven to break into Bath, if you want to light the city, how can you do that? What can you do? What invites heaven? What turns heaven's head? Maybe it's something as simple as being generous to the poor in your area, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. It's simply looking for, actively looking for, people who are struggling financially and being generous, not doing it in front of anybody, but giving to them and blessing them on the side that no one would see. We have a lady in our church, and it's probably two years ago, and I, I had a conversation with this lady, and she said, I would like to start giving anonymously to a widow in the church. She said, how can I do that? I said, very simply, Take some cash, trust our postal system, put some cash, put it in an envelope, don't put your name on it, and send a letter to this lady. And she says, well, I want to do it every month. I said, great, send her money every month. And for the last 18 months, every single month, this widow has received cash in the mail from somebody. No note, nothing. Yeah, I'm finishing, I hear the phone. <laughs> Tell him to stop talking. It's something as simple as that. The Bible says pure and undefiled religion. What does that look like? Loving the widow, loving the orphan. Are there, are there widows in your neighborhood? 
Is there a widow that you know of that's struggling financially? Maybe she's not even struggling. You want to invite heaven's presence? Be generous to those people around you. It's not complicated. It's loving people. It's helping people. It's stepping into those places where nobody else will. Nobody even notices the lady off to the side. Can I encourage you as a family just to consider start loving people that everybody else walks past and being generous. Don't give them two pounds. I did that. How about being generous towards them? And the second thing is this. If you want to turn heaven's head, if you want to invite angels into the city of Bath, how are we doing with our prayer time? And no guilt, no guilt. It just acknowledges, Cornelius, you pray regularly. That's it. How's your prayer time? I pray my prayers are when we come back next year or whatever, that the pre-prayer, pre-meeting prayer isn't, it doesn't have 18 people in it. It has 58 people in it spilling out into the, into the sanctuary, auditorium, whatever we call this. That for you, do you want to turn heaven's head? It's as simple as getting consistent with prayer. Father, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessing of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would put it on people's hearts, that we would speak well of one another, that we would do the little things really, really well, that we'd be like Cornelius, just consistent, consistent love, generosity, and loving you. Father, bless this house, that this city would be lit up for Jesus, that your name would be famous in this city, not a, not a church, not a leader, but Jesus, your name would be made famous. Bless this house, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.